Welcome back to Real Renos, where we've taken about three weeks off. Uh, it's me, Austin Osborne, and Bricks Berry here uh, discussing the ins and outs of real real estate flips. Um, hadn't had much going on on the, the project that's worth discussing, but... Well, we've had stuff going on, just not that we've been doing. Right, yeah. We, we've had a bunch of electrical going in, and really, it came at the right time because... Both you and I have been incredibly busy yeah. outside of the, the renovation, doing our, our other nine to fives duties. Yep. Um, but recap us real quick, you know, what, what has gone on in the last three days, I mean, three weeks, however long it's been. Um, yeah. I mean, basically, we've had the electrician in there, um, you know, getting, getting everything updated, um, we went down, you know, a few times, checked in and, and helped him, I mean, not do anything major, just, you know, fish wires and, and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And, and that was something that I wish we would have thought of earlier, even though we didn't have time, is that since we've got him set up on a an hourly basis, going down and helping him and then cut his hours down, because I was, I, I was under the assumption that he's going to do his thing. Yep, same. And... We, we, we couldn't really help him. Mm-hmm. And then about halfway through, he's like, oh, you know, my back hurts. It's hard traveling between the two things. It's like, oh, well, what if we come down and, and help you fish wires? And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love it. And we ended up saving him probably several days. Yeah. Because I never realized the, the complexity of like, you know, getting up in the attic, drilling, looking to see where this wire is going to go, you know, fishing your hand up through the water, try to catch it. Like trying to do that as a single person. Yeah, trying to be in two places, right? Um, and then, then having to even if it even if it is measuring out drilling, go back up and fish it, and you get it right every single time. It's still that travel time between the attic and um, under the house or in the room. Um, ended up saving a bunch of time. Oh yeah, but anyway, well, we did finish up the plumbing. We we did reroute all the plumbing. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we we finished our conversion to PEX. Yep. Got the uh, ice maker line in, which was great until the the valve started leaking brand immediately. New, brand yeah, new. yeah, yep. So we took that off yesterday. Gonna have to return that. Um, got the pot filler stub out yep. installed, mm-hmm. and and bricks. You you got to spend pretty much a whole day under the house. You want to tell us about that? Oh, it was great. Um, yeah. So what we had to do. Um, so we're removing from removing the sink from basically one side of the kitchen to the other, and so the house is on a really nice, pretty tall. I would say it's a tall crawl space. I mean, I can I can crawl under there very, very comfortably. I can sit upright. Mm-hmm. And I'm not crunched. Um, so they had run all the plumbing, most all of it under the house, and and just you know bored holes and ran it up through the floor so what we had to do was find out where the hot and cold were coming in from the under the house and just basically tee into that and run up and we just teed into that and ran pecs from under the house from where the sink was up to where it's going now just drilled holes and ran it up that way so basically i spent the entire day under the house it's copper so i just got a copper tee um copper to pecs copper to pecs yep and just cut the cut the uh, original pipe, the hot and cold lines, and uh, 
sweat those tees on and then so because so we had we did tees i guess kind of back up there we did the tees because we we kept water lines running to the original sink for the ice line and the pot filler hot Mm -hmm. and cold so we had to keep water going there and run water the new to the new sink so that's why we that's why we teed it um instead of just you know cut capping it and just running a new line yeah so we sweated that on sweated the copper tees on and then got the little pecs fitting on the tee and sweated that on well you sweat all those on while i was up yeah and then i i sweated them on under the house on, on the original lines and then we just i just ran the pecs um just basically right across the stringers and then just nailed them up with the little little pecs tacks mm-hmm. um and then you fished them up and yeah it in and that was pretty much it i mean it really wasn't that bad yeah just, no definitely dark yeah uh, I'm sure. I, I forgot we didn't have our, our stage lights down there. Mm, just, just go head, around. I was working with a headlamp. That was it. And I think something's wrong with my battery because I'd hit my head on a rafter and my headlamp would cut off. I'd have to cut it back on. It was, it was something. Fade to black. Mm-hmm. Um, would you recommend going to PEX if oh, someone's got po- copper? A hundred percent because PEX, it'll flex a little bit. I mean, you don't want to, like, try to flex it to 90s. That's why they make 90-degree elbows for PEX. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, in our case, you can't – I mean, you, you can bend PEX slightly with, yeah. with those tacks when you tack them up to the rafters, whereas copper, you can't bend at all. So, yeah. Um, now, we didn't bend anything under the house to the point of where it was crimping by any means. It's all pretty well straight, but uh, definitely way easier to run. Yeah, and a lot quicker. Yeah. Um. I think I put off converting to PEX on the smaller stuff just because it would have taken the same amount of time. But man, if you're if you're converting, going longer runs, things like that, yeah, it's super super simple. Even if you you know, you, I mean, I had to take off probably ten to twelve crimps throughout this whole process, and that's not really hard. No. Getting getting the fitting back out can be difficult, but that's what's so great about PEX. You just cut it a little bit further down and rock on. Yep, and the cool thing about pecs too is if you are running hot and cold simultaneously, by the blue pecs and the red pecs, and so it makes it really easy to instead of trying to mark with a sharpie on a piece of copper or you know like do mm-hmm. you know put two little marks on this copper for hot, one mark for cold. It's yeah. really easy to say, okay, that's my hot, that's my cold, and you know when you're under a house with the headlamp on, it's easy to see red and blue versus little sharpie marks or this or that. So yeah, or or even just try and keep it in your mind of okay, my my hot was on the left exactly. Then you rotate 180, and you're like, no, 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 it's on the right now. Yeah. Yeah. That that made it much simpler. Right. And, too, as far as, like, is it easier to run? So, especially with copper, you know, you have, you have to – I had to take a propane little torch under the house, the uh, the solder, and the flux. flux. Yeah. Just to get those joints put together. And then you have to heat everything up. Well, that takes forever. And then you, then Especially the if there's water in the line. Right. So then there's water line, then it starts steaming and running out. Then you're, you know, you have to dry that back out to get the good seal. You seal all that up. Whereas PEX, you stick the little, you stick the little adapter on mm-hmm. and you shove it on there with your crimp. And then you get the little crimp tool and clamp it down. And, and you've, you know, you basically made a joint, a connection, you know, joint. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Yeah. Whereas copper, Easily five to ten minutes. Yeah, I mean, if you if you think about all the prep work that goes into it, and that's why I wanted to you know go ahead and build out those tees and everything, uh, simply because you know you're looking you're looking at so much more time of you know 
scratching the surface or whatever, prepping it, then assembling it, heating each one individually, then managing your heat so that you aren't melting away solder that you already have a good joint on and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely, definitely would go with pecs. Yeah, if you have the option, for sure. Um, so that kind of got us up to date to where we are on the project. Um, what did we do yesterday? We started hanging drywall. Yeah, that's that's a ton of fun. And actually, I kind of enjoy it because when you're just hanging it, it kind of goes so fast. When I mean, you're hanging four by eight sheets, yeah, and we knocked a room out in two and a half hours. Yeah, I mean, not you know. Not counting, you know, the taping and mud and just the panels. Yeah. But still, like, you get done, you're like, okay, I've actually done something. That's been the, that's been what's kind of, yeah, not been fun about the last couple of weeks is like, we've done all the meticulous things that are really important, but you get done, you know, like, for instance, I came out of the crawl space after five hours and I had two T joints to show for it. Yeah. You know, yeah, we had two stub outs on top of the floor mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah. And if you're, taking a time lapse or anything like that, all the viewers would just be like, well, this sucks. Yep. But if someone doesn't have their sink, they definitely aren't going to buy the house. Right. Um, so yeah, def- definitely getting the sheetrock in there. Um, it's a little ego booster for sure. A hundred percent. So that's what we're, the goal by the end of the week is to have it all hung mm-hmm. and start mudding. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to start having some mud on the wall as well. Cause I mean, that was our biggest room we've yep. got. Yep. A wall and a half in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Not even a full wall. Yeah. And. Half walls in the bathrooms. Yeah. And that's it. Well, the. The, the, the divider, divider wall. Yeah. And yeah, in the master, that little bit behind the vanities. Yep. But yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. So that'll be nice. And then we'll start mudding for about a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, go back to our wallpaper episode. Yeah. That, still not looking forward to that. No. But anyway, I think that's got us updated on where our flip is. Yep. Um, what if we talk a little bit more about, you know, finding the deal, the timeline on finding a deal? What what should someone's emotional state be in it? Uh, what should they be looking for? Um. I know we answered a lot of this when we had uh, one of one of my old employees, Franklin, out at the job yesterday. He's he's a sophomore in college, and he's he has all the questions of, you know, how do you know if it's a good deal? Where do you look for the good deals? How do you analyze it? What's going to mitigate your risk? All those things. And so we thought, let's just make a whole episode on that. Yeah. So in, in the initial, I guess, when you're trying to figure out what's in your repertoire how how do you go about looking at okay this is a type of property i'm looking for or what 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 do i want to flip essentially right i, mean, I think the first thing you have to look at is the market mm-hmm. um i mean if, if you're going to try to break into a market where there's two house sales a month and that's it in the whole market i mean chances are you might you might can buy a house for $10,000 and put 10 in it and put it on the market for 200. I mean, you know, just, yeah. you know, have a $180,000 profit margin and you know, your risk is really low at $20,000. But if there's only say two houses a month selling, mm-hmm. chances are it's just going to sit on the market. You're not really ever going to get your money back. Right. So the first thing I look at is, 
is uh, what the, what's the market doing? Is it a hot market? Yeah, you had touched on that, um, which I hadn't even thought about not being um, a real estate agent, is that days on the market is sometimes more important than, you know, the comps. Oh, yeah. It's like, are they moving? And if they're moving quick, you know, that that allows the, the buyer to possibly negotiate or the seller to negotiate a higher price if they're if it's in a hot market and things are just moving. Right. I mean, where we are, we're seeing we're seeing bidding wars, and I mean, really, it's offensive if you offer asking price. Yeah, which I love. Yeah, that is the best problem to have. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on our side of the table. Yeah, not on the homeowner, no, not on the buyer's yeah. side, but. Yeah, but that's why we still rent ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> um. So once you've identified a market. And you figure out kind of, okay, these are moving. I found something. What do we look at next? Is it price? Is it what kind of homes are, are moving that quickly? Um, walk us through that. I guess it all depends on if you're trying to bring an investor in or if you've just got X amount of money that you're just trying to just throw out there and see if it works. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be pockets in ev- everywhere that are going to be, say, more higher-end houses, that, um, and then there's, there's going to be – pockets that are more i would say on the lines of starter houses so if you know if you're trying to do it yourself and you don't have you know say you've got i don't know one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in cash that you've saved over five years and you're like all right i want to start doing this well i would target more of a first-time home buyer um, market because you know if you go in and buy a house for i don't know a hundred and then put 20 in it and try to sell it for 150 you know, that's not, and they're, you know, they're selling like we just said, then that's not a huge risk. But if you have a, you know, say you find a house that's $500,000, but yeah. it needs, and it needs a $250,000 worth of work, mm-hmm. you're going to be in at seven fifty. However, it's in the most ritzy neighborhood and wherever, and it's going to sell for a million five, and you're in at seven fifty, and you make, 750 on it well then yeah i'd go try to find an investor for sure so i I don't think money really matters is as long as you have an investor and the deal works right and it's is something um well let's talk about that you know how that that'd be a great scenario um and i'd love to find one of those tomorrow yeah same i don't think that we live in the right place to find that though definitely not uh definitely not but how does skill level, I mean, it, it's one thing to be able to run an analysis on a deal. It's another to pull it off. Um, what would you recommend people look for? Because I can, I can find those deals in L.A. I can find those deals in Atlanta, New York. Right. One, I'm not there. Yep. Two, I've never flipped a, a million-dollar house. Exactly. Nor really gotten in there to, to understand the market of what makes a million-dollar house sell. Right. Um what would you recommend people look at as far as, you know, feasibility and ability to flip those properties? Generally, if you're going for the bigger houses, chances are your risk is going to be higher. Um, because, you know, there's, I would say there's typically less, um, less demand for right. the really higher ticket item houses, just because, you know, just not everybody has a million and a half, two million dollars to go drop on a house. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
and chances are if somebody's going to spend that much, they're going to be real picky. So I would say your risk is higher that it's going to sit on the market because somebody might not like it. Right. Um, so with that being said, chances are your profit margins are going to be better, you know, greater the risk, greater the reward. Right. So if you, I mean, I've, I've heard of people doing this. I personally haven't yet. I would like to, but I've heard of people making three, $400,000 on a flip before. So if you've got that kind of room in it and, and you are seeing like, all right, these are selling for this. I mean, you know, they might be sitting on the market a little bit longer. I would probably go try to find some contractors. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm all about doing everything yourself if you can, but I mean, if you got 400 grand and you can go hire a contractor to, or, you know, 400 grand profit and you can go hire a contractor for say $200,000 to do the whole thing. And he knows cause he's done the house right down the road. Mm-hmm. Then you're sitting on a $200,000 profit yeah, and not do, doing a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing weekly updates with a contractor. Right. Of, Hey, where are we on the schedule? And if you really are wanting to learn how to do it, so you can say make the whole four hundred thousand the next time, well then just shadow him. I mean, if, if you know if you don't have a nine to five, you got to go work at, and that is your job. Go shadow the contractor. You know, pick his brain. Like, hey, why, you know, why are we putting this in? You know, why do you recommend this? Yeah. On the bigger deals. Now, if it's a smaller house like we were talking about that you're trying to do for yourself, say you know, hundred fifty to two hundred fifty thousand dollar deal. Yeah. I mean, you see those every day. Yeah. So I mean, it's pretty pretty simple to figure out all right they want some good floors some good countertops some good cabinets you know get on pinterest take a look at what you know what's trendy yeah yeah do that look at track builders yep get on their galleries on yep. their websites mm-hmm. just look at what they're doing i've i've seen and i don't know if this is market wide or just the ones i've looked at it's going a little bit toward you know smart home enabled yep and really just certain creature comforts that or ergonomical things, as I'd call them, that just kind of make living at home more enjoyable. Well, that's, that's where we're headed. I mean, what, 90% probably of Americans are still working at home? Mm-hmm. Maybe not 90, but, you know, far more than, than this very time last year. Oh, for, for sure. I know of at least four or five people who either work in Birmingham, Atlanta, somewhere else, their companies have chosen not to renew leases on on their high-rise office space right because they're saving so much money yep. on that and they can do the job from from home i mean and that's what i've always i've never been able to understand it's like why are you driving to go to a desk and a computer where you have a desk and a computer at your house i mean i get meetings you know and things like that and you have to see people but i've never understood a monday through friday nine to five like okay yeah a lot at Monday through Wednesday to go to the office and Thursday, Friday, you work from home or something like that. You know? Oh, for sure. And, and that that's one of the positives I've seen out of COVID. I hate Zoom meetings, but really they make sense. Yeah, they do. It's like, why would we sit around, do everything of preparing for the meeting, at, like you said, two hours away with commute and traffic and everything like that, go prepare for the meeting and then sit there, wait on everyone to kind of get in, do five or 10 minutes worth of pleasantries, whatever, discuss the one topic at hand. Then most people break after that. And so it's what I've seen, or at least personally, and I'm getting off on a tangent is just, it's so unproductive to have in-person meetings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know this is bad, but during zoom meetings, when there's something that doesn't apply to me, or my opinion is not qualified, you know, talking about something that I have no knowledge about, I can be working on something else right? 
during the meeting. And nobody really sees that as, you know, rude. Right. Mainly because I hit the mute button and no one can see what I'm working on. But. Right, exactly. And, I mean, you know, bringing that back around to houses, I mean, I think that's why we've seen the real estate market boom so much is because everybody's at home now. And a lot of a lot of people now are, are needing, figuring out they need bigger houses. Right. Yeah, every, everyone, office. everyone was going to the, you know, high efficiency stuff. And I love tiny houses. I love efficient use of space, really all that stuff. But, yeah, everyone's finding out, like, okay, if we're going to have school here, if we're going to have work here, and we're going to have family here, and that's really the only place to gather right now right? is someone's home in groups of less than 10. Right. Um, we need a space that accommodates all that. And also, I feel like a lot of people, myself included, you need a designated place, which I think is why an office space kind of became a thing. You need a designated place to where you go to do that that task and all your stuff is there yep. you aren't fishing through you know second grade math books to look for your presentation for you know the merger deal or whatever right um and so that's i think we discussed it in episode one that's part of what we're probably going to try and market this home as is it's a six bedroom four bath yeah and so if you have two working parents you have two offices upstairs with its own own bathroom yep that is really detached from the rest of the house yep and allows you that space. It's got three living rooms, yeah. including the flex space. Right. That accommodates, you know, what we've moved to of you're entertaining at home again rather than going out to dinner, whatever. Right. And then it's also got that detached sleep and or, you know, kids have homework, go to your room, go do that. Right. And that's detached from, it, it's really a great layout from, how people live and compartmentalize their lives, I feel like. I mean, essentially, you have a four-bed, three-bath house with two offices and a bathroom upstairs. Yeah, exactly. You want to look at it that way. That, that's a great way to look at it. So we talked about possibly hiring a contractor if, you know, the the work is so far outside of your wheelhouse that, one, you can't do it as a single person or, you know, your, your team that you've got isn't capable of, of flipping um, or if it's something that that's doable, you know, get on YouTube, ask around your friends. I, I found so many handy people just by talking about flips. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they're like, you know, you, you can bounce some ideas off of them and they're like, oh yeah, well we, we redid our, our kitchen or our master bath a couple of years ago. We, we had that same problem. It was like, oh really? How'd you fix it? Yeah. And they'll go into how they fixed it. And it's like, that's a great idea. I was thinking of something completely different that would have cost twice as much right required a contractor yep. different things like that um so now that we've gotten through all that how would you weigh risk versus reward in identifying you know a subject property of you know you've got your ballpark market you've got your ballpark size you know what's moving how do you know if you need to buy the $170,000 house and put $10,000 into it or buy the $80,000 house and put 50000 into it? If your profit margins are going to be about the same, if you're going to make, say, 30000 a piece on either, I would I would try to find an investor and buy the $170,000 house because you're going to have less work going into it. I mean, yeah, you are going to pay a little bit more for the house, but your your ROI... Which you know we talked about in the other episodes, times money, 
mm-hmm. you're not going to hold on to that house as long. If, if you have a house that needs 50 grand worth of work, I mean, it's it's going to take longer. Right. I don't care what it needs. It's going to take longer. If you're shelling out that much more money, it needs more stuff. So you're going to hold on to the house longer. I'd say the risk factor, it, it depends, like, how you view risk. So on the $170,000 house, yeah, you're risking way more money up front. Right. Let's take the scenario that you have the money, that you have two hundred grand. I guess that's kind of where you're going with that more. So would you yeah. buy the eighty thousand or the hundred seventy? If you've got two hundred thousand yeah. dollars to spend, and the one seventy needs twenty grand worth of work, and the eighty needs fifty grand worth of work, or whatever. Yeah. Your risk is up front. You're going to be paying one hundred seventy thousand dollars. It's boom. It's gone. It's out. Right. If you're only needing twenty thousand dollars worth of work to it to get it ready to go, chances are it's going to be. It's going to you know, it's, the whole process is going to move faster. Um, you're not going to hold on to it as long and, and you're still going to get your return. Whereas the, yeah, so you go spend $80,000. Yeah, that's not as much money. But then $50,000 worth of work. I mean, you're going to be in that house way longer. Yeah. You know, trying to fix it. And, and so what if, what if, so say, say you're getting into the market, it's great. And on the $170,000 house, it takes you a month to do, but mm-hmm. you flipped it. Well, Say it takes you three months to do the $80,000 house. Well, what if in two months into that, the market crashes? Yeah. So I think really the the, the risk is is how long you're going to hold on to the house. So, I mean, if it were me and I had two hundred grand to spend and I was going to make the same amount of money doing 20000 worth of work versus 50000 worth of work, I'm paying more money up front. Yeah. 100% every time. Absolutely. And, and I think also a lot of it comes down to, you know, what is the market value? I mean, fair market value for each of these properties and what are you getting it for? Right. And is it a discount? Yeah. Warren Buffett, I believe said you need to be buying a dollar for 66 cents. Yeah. And so something along those lines of, you know, if the $80,000 property is worth $80,000, mm-hmm. it's probably not a good deal unless there's enough, you know, margin to where, you know, paint it, slap some new trim on it, whatever. And then that makes it exponentially more valuable than great. But if the $170,000 house is really worth 150 in the market, but you're getting it for a discount of, you know, 70 or $80,000, then that's probably your better bet anyway. Right. And like you said, you're, you're in and out. Yep. So it's, it's probably two tiered tests on that mm-hmm. of where, where is this property going as yep. far as what am I going to sell it for? Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Brandon Turner and Bigger Pockets talk about you know you don't want more than seventy percent of your retail price in a property, right? Um, and I think that's probably a pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I would, I definitely would agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think, dude, going back to that analogy of the eighty thousand dollars house worth the one seventy, in that scenario, in my mind, I was thinking you buy it for seven or one seventy, put twenty in it. And you sell it for two fifty, right? So forty thousand dollar profit on it, right? Sixty, yeah, yeah, sixty. Math, yeah. Um, whereas if you buy the eighty and put fifty in it, you're sitting at one thirty, and you mm-hmm. sell it for one ninety. So another sixty thousand. Yeah. So the way I was looking at it was your profits were the same, yeah. And that's why I said I would buy the more expensive one. No, just, for just sure. to clarify that if people didn't understand. 
Yeah. No, I, I knew where you were going, but, but yeah, that's good. You might have the eighty thousand dollar one. You know, was going to sell for two hundred, and you're going to make ninety, versus making fifty or sixty on the other one. Then I would put in the more work. Yeah, definitely. And and we touched on this either episode one or two of find out how much you want to make a month. Yep. Or annually. Yep. And then just prorate that. Yep. So if you want to be making ten thousand a month, you can be in the one seventy and get that ten thousand a month profit and you're only in it a month and you're turning that ten thousand profit, go for that. Yeah. For if sure. you're gonna take five months to make the fifty thousand dollar profit on the eighty thousand dollar house, I'd probably still go with the ten thousand dollar in and out quick, like you said. Yeah, for sure. Because it just it's just less risk. Mm-hmm. For sure. And chances are if you're if, if the house doesn't need more than fifteen, twenty thousand dollars worth of work, you can do most I mean a good bit of it yourself. Yeah. I mean that that is a roof or all new paint. Yeah, and, you'll you'll hire a roof out anyway. Yeah. I would anyway. I mean, we're getting into the beginning of March and we've already hit eighty five and ninety. Exactly. Degrees outside. So def, definitely hiring someone out for that. Yeah. Um, so what do you think, you know, switching into the last phase, and we've talked about, you know, how you kind of identify the properties, you know, what's kind of going to mitigate your risk a little bit better, buy the more expensive one with, you know, less cost to fix it up versus buying the less expensive one with more cost to fix it up, time value of money, all that. What about the emotional factor? Man, how does that weigh in? I think that people should just go in, look at stuff, and buy the first thing that they want. Right. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, it. I mean, it, this really gets into kind of controlling your emotions, and the the worst time to buy something is when when you're going to have buyer's remorse. And the only time I've ever had buyer's remorse is when I bought it too quick, got the little googly eyes of like oh, I'm going to make so much money on this or this is such a great purchase. I'm going to use this for whatever, whatever. Yep. And then you get it and it's like, oh, never mind. Yeah, you know, like I've ever had buyer's remorse. Yeah, but you only buy cars. And this is true. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've bought some stupid stuff over the years. I can't remember what it is because I blocked that out of my memory. But um, definitely, definitely going in it I, this is where I think partnerships are key when you're looking at real estate and stuff like this, especially if you're new to it and it's something that excites you, which hopefully if, if you're getting into flips in real estate, it's not a chore. It, it can't be. No. If it doesn't excite you and like, if you don't want to roll out of bed and go to work every day and look forward to it, then it's, th this is not something that you want to do. No. Cause the, the last three weeks would probably break you. The last three weeks that we've had. Oh, 100%. Because it's like, man, nothing's getting done. I'm paying out all this money. Uh, and I'm still a month and a half away from even putting it on the market. Like, and, and that's wishful thinking. Yeah, exactly. Which everyone thinks that way. It's like, oh, it'll be done next week. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, obviously, doing as many deals in the analysis state is probably one of the best things that helps you detach from it. Um, the more you look at, the more you're like, okay, that's a, a feasible deal. That one's not. And it kind of wears the new off. Um, right. I mean, it's so exciting to go sit in the new Corvette. A 20-year-old one, 
not so much. Or if you go sit in 40 new Corvettes, you're like, okay. It's a Corvette. Yeah. Yeah. And so doing something similar to that, I think, can help really distance yourself from jumping into something too quickly or thinking, oh, I'm I'm an HGTV presenter and I'm going to get in here and in three minutes I'm going to have this beautiful thing and it's going to sell for billions of dollars. Right. Um, so doing that, analyzing a bunch, looking at kind of the less than glamorous sides of things, uh, whenever we get our, our YouTube channels up and stuff like that, we're going to be diving into a lot of, hey, here's what inch thick set on the walls with wire mesh really is like. Exactly. Here's what, you know, a rotted girder under your foundation really looks like. Yeah, and here's what it looks like being under a crawl space for five hours. Yeah, exactly. Which doesn't sound like much on a podcast that we skim over in 30 seconds, but five hours is five hours. Exactly. Like you were talking about the time lapse on that, it literally would just have been me just basically looking like I was sitting there. Yeah, with, with your hands moving just a little bit. Yep. And then a, a torch comes out. Right. Um, so definitely removing yourself from that. I think Bricks and I have done a pretty good job of, and Bricks better than me, because I can see a profit or a potential profit in anything. Um, but he has to remind me, like, hey, yeah, that is a good deal, but it's not a great deal, and we're too early in this to go chasing every good deal, and we don't have a team around us. You know, we, we were talking two or three weeks ago, we were looking at another property and it pretty much just needed paint, maybe some updated trim and a new roof. So, I mean, all in probably about $20,000. If we wanted to, we could replace the deck on the back. Yep. So $25,000 worth of work. Upside was pretty good. Um, but all in all, I think John Maxwell says, say no to the good so you can say yes to the great. Yep. And constantly remembering that if it doesn't fall into what your mission is for these flips, and that that's something that I don't think we've really talked about, is identify where you're wanting to be on each flip. We've talked about, you know, your income of $10,000 a month, but I could go out there and buy 12 houses that need $5,000 worth of work and a $10,000 profit. And I'm going to be killing myself trying to do it. Or you could take one that's, that's got a good profit margin. We'll, we'll just throw out this crazy number of $120,000 profit. Spend six months on it. Kind of not go at a snail's pace, but go at something that's achievable for me and still achieve the same thing. And so it's constantly looking at back to the time value of money. And what do you want? And identifying your personal mission for getting into this real estate and stuff like that and really vetting the deals against that. Yep. And if they don't fall into it, don't compromise. Right. Obviously, if, if you go down the road and you're, you know, you say, I'm going to purchase low, currently low market value properties and flip them as luxury mansions. And you realize, okay, that's really not attainable. Revisit them, mm -hmm. but don't just settle on something before you have that, that self-talk or, you know, bounce it off your business partners, stuff like that. Right. Um, definitely most poor decisions. And Dave Ramsey even talks about this in his financial peace thing. When he was selling houses, he was pushing them. And he says, he's not, not proud of this, but he was pushing people into houses that 
shouldn't have been buying them, they'd wake up the next day and say, uh, I, I don't want that house. It's too much house, different things like that. And he said they were coached to just say before they put a contract on it, you know, most people experience what feels like buyer's remorse in the next 28 or 24 to 48 hours. Don't worry. It's normal. And I feel like most people on emotion rather than logic and calculated risk will right. sometimes jump into that. Yeah. And that's what we want to avoid. Exactly. And too, I think, I know when I first got started looking for my first flip, I was in college. And so, you know, I would put on some blue jeans and some boots and a nice short sleeve collared shirt and a hat, you know, and try to look like a contractor and drive around looking at all these houses, you know, thinking, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a real estate investor, you know, yeah, with like $2,000 to my name. And, um, more than a lot of people have. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, so I think that not the emotion of, um, wanting to make it look like you're doing a lot of stuff, even though you're not, that's got to be backed out. Cause I was, you know, I was, and I, I, I think that to an extent you have to kind of look like you're wanting to do it cause it kind of motivates you. But at the same time, don't just go buy the first thing you see because you want the label of being a real estate investor. Yeah. You know, like you gotta, you gotta calculate everything. I mean, if it's not a good deal, don't just buy it because you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I flip houses now. Yeah. yeah. That's a good way to get upside down on something real quick. Exactly. But, but I do agree. You need to dress the part, right. but don't, don't kid yourself. Exactly. Um, I, I probably am on the polar opposite end of that. I drive a, a manual Jetta <laughs> <laughs> and I'll get out. I mean, most of these deals that we went to, I was in skinny jeans and uh, that same gray shirt that I wear every day. Yeah. And I'm sure Gabby, our, our agent, was like, this this dude doesn't know how to even lift a, lift a hammer, <laughs> much less what to do with it. We could probably take him to Lowe's or Home Depot right now, and I could tell him to go get a hammer, and he'd come back with a screwdriver. <laughs> um, so I, I'm probably 180 from that. But no, I, I definitely agree that to an extent, you, you need you need to do what hypes you up and build your confidence, right. but don't let your ego take that exactly and run wild with it. Exactly. That I, I've seen some terrible situations come out of that. Exactly. Which is great for us because then we can buy them discounted. But exactly, yeah, for sure. But uh, we're here to help people, not help our own pocketbooks. Right. Yeah. So talking about emotions, um, kind of got that pretty well answered. I would say, you know, just. Basically, it's more of look at the numbers. I mean, really put your emotions in the numbers. And, you know, you want to be happy when they're really good and you want to be sad when they're really not. And that's really all that all that you need to look at to, mm-hmm. to avoid potentially just losing all your money. Yeah. So uh, another agent around the, in the Auburn market, she once told me, you know, we're all playing business. You can do whatever you want, but we're still playing business, yep. and business comes down to the numbers. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. So that's pretty much it for this episode. I know this is going to be shorter than some of our other ones, but you know, like we said at the beginning, we're just now starting to hang drywall. I'm sure when we come back uh, and record the next episode, we're gonna it's going to be a long one because we're actually going to have a lot of stuff that we've been doing on the house. Um, but we did want to at least get in here and you know talk about kind of the art of the deal a little bit. Um, 
and uh, kind of get a few of those things out in the open. Great book, by the way. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, so uh, we're going to wrap this one up here. And, uh, you know, as always, um, go check out our Instagram page, uh, pages, uh, cypress.land and Brickman Enterprises, LLC. Um, you know, we're, we all try to post stories most every day. Um, you know, some kind some content about what's going on. Um, I'd love for you to give those a, a follow and, uh, see you guys back here in two weeks, in two weeks. Yep. Yeah. We're changing to, to bi-weekly instead of every week. Yep. That way we aren't just putting out dog poop. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to come up with content. Uh, but anyway, join us next time in two weeks for our next episode. Um, until then, analyze some deals. Yeah, exactly. Get your emotions straight. Yeah, get your emotions <laughs> straight and analyze the deals.